0: Uh, you could turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we will start off this evening. Uh, but hey, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for tonight, Lord. And uh, God, we just thank you for this season that we're in, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd be growing us, Lord, be growing our faith, God. Uh, help us, Lord, to take each thought captive, God, to. Trust in you more and more, Lord, and not to allow fear and anxiety rule over us, God. Uh, But may we allow you to rule over us, God, Lord. May you be our peace. May you be our cornerstone, God. May you be the rock that our lives are built upon, Lord. That no matter what storm may come, uh, Lord, we know that we can stay firm in you. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit now, Lord. Lord, help me. Apart from you, I can do nothing, Lord. So pray that as we go through your word, you'd be speaking to each and every one of us, Lord. And we do pray for those in the family, whoever is sick, Lord, whoever is ill, God, uh, whoever has uh, serious complications, Lord, we pray that you just be healing them and encouraging them in this season, Lord. So we just love you. We thank you, God. and your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just continue to be in prayer for the church. Again, I think everybody knows it's like the whole world got sick all at once, right? Uh, The same week, uh, different people have croup. uh, Not people, kids, babies have croup, right? Uh, They have strep throat, all sorts of sicknesses going out there. Again, be reminded the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, uh, but a spirit of power, love, right? Uh, A sound mind, a mind of discipline. So just be praying for that. Uh, Again, you could continue to be praying for me. I was wrestling with the lord all about two weeks ago that we should have been closed shut down give everybody a day of rest on december 26 i was wrestling with the lord thinking ah people are gonna think we're a bunch of wimps and we take the day off early, right Uh, but that's totally the call i should have made so you could keep praying for me as well just to continue to hear from the lord and be that man of faith Uh, But here we are tonight and want to take a little break from Leviticus and uh, be concentrated on what we're trying to go into the year doing and why are we doing that. I saw a great post and uh, it was convicting to me. It gave me three questions to ask myself as I end the year. The very first question is, how is your walk with the Lord? How is your relationship with the Lord? Even as we've been going through the book of Revelation, have you left your first love? Right? Has there ever been a season where you're closer to the Lord, you're loving the Lord more, you're serving Him more? Has there ever been a season like that? Genuinely, how's your walk with the Lord? The next question is, what are your goals for the next year, right, 2022? Hopefully not just uh, goals of vanity, right? This is the year, six-pack abs year, right? This is the year, house is going to be perfect. But that we'd have spiritual goals, that we'd be asking the Lord, Lord, how can I grow with you this year? Lord, how do you want me to grow this year? And then finally, who's going to keep you accountable to these goals? So I think that's great, right? How's your walk with the Lord? What are your goals? And what and who are going to keep you accountable to these goals. And for us this year, again, we're trying to grow in our Bible reading, taking in of God's word. We're trying to grow in our fasting. I think as a fellowship, as a church, we're great at feasting together, right? At least I know I am. I'm really good at feasting. I'm really good at fellowshipping, breaking of bread, being a high priest, roasting a piece of meat for a long time on a fire. I'm great at that. But when it comes to fasting, it seems like many believers, especially the, uh, here in the U.S., this is a, a tool that is lacking within each and every one of us, a discipline that's lacking. And then finally, it's prayer that we'd be growing in our reading of God's word, we'd be growing in fasting, and that we'd be gro- growing in prayer. Now, why is this our desire? Because we're going to be seen as more righteous or holy in God's eyes? Not at all. If you're doing this in a view to be elevated more to God or be elevated more than the people around you, you're doing it with the wrong reasons. And we'll see in a bit in Isaiah 58 how the Lord looks at people who fast and do things for Him for the wrong reasons. He doesn't like that. The whole reason why we're doing this, I'm hope hoping, is that as we obey God, as we obey His Word, each and every one of us are going to grow closer to Him And as each and every one of us grow closer to Him, then we will grow closer to one another. And our unity as believers, first and foremost to the Lord, our unity as believers with other Christians will deepen and grow. And as that unity grows and deepens, then our church will grow in the most important way. And that's not in numbers. It's in spiritual depth. That's the most important way that our church can grow. Again, we saw that with the different churches, those seven churches in Revelation, not only is that for church history, not only is that for those seven specific churches, not only is that for Calvary Chapel Miami, but that's for each and every one of us personally. And as each and every one of us grow personally, as each and every one of us have a greater desire for God's Word and to be obedient to God's Word then our church as a whole is going to grow. So we're going to look first at Bible reading. Why is it important to read God's word? Why is it important to read the Bible? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it gives us a pretty big warning here to anyone that wants to be a believer or a Christian. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, sort of the basis, the foundation for tonight, for the incoming year, the different disciplines we're wanting to grow in, the different ways we want to obey God at a greater level to end this year and even to begin next year, it's because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not that it's difficult. It's not that it's hard. It's not that it's going to be more trying. No, God's Word tells us it's impossible to please God. And then now if we want to please Him, we must believe first and foremost that He exists and we must believe that He's going to reward those who diligently seek Him. And the whole idea of diligence or putting in the hard work on a continual basis to make it a habitual thing we do is something we see when it comes to seeking God When it comes to praying as well. God tells us to pray without ceasing, but we'll look more at that in a bit. So again, we must believe that God exists. Do you believe that God exists? That he sees everything. He doesn't just see our actions, but he sees the things done in secret. He sees the true intents of our heart. He sees the things that we're thinking, right? The things that we say. Sometimes we have two conversations with someone, right? We have a conversation in in our mind, all the things we want to tell them, right? And then after, hopefully, you you take a step back and then you talk to them. Or maybe it's the opposite. Worst things happen, right? However, God sees both of those conversations. God sees our heart, our mind, and what's going on. Do we believe that that's the case? And then do we believe that he's going to reward those who diligently seek him? If we really believe he's going to reward those who diligently seek him, I would venture to say we would dig- diligently seek him. Right? If we really think, man, the more that I seek God, the greater reward there's going to be for me. And again, we don't have time to go there, but Jesus tells us to put up treasures in heaven. It's not that as we seek God, as we seek Him diligently, we're going to have greater wealth or we're going to have greater health or our life is going to be more perfect. On the contrary, oftentimes it leads to greater difficulty. But if we believe He's going to reward us, then we're going to have those treasures in heaven. So Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please Him. What does Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tell us? You can just write that down. It tells us, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Two things to keep in mind. Hebrews eleven six told, tells us without faith it's impossible to please Him. If we don't have faith, we cannot please God. Then Romans ten seventeen tells us, hey, how do you grow in faith? How do you receive faith? It's by hearing and hearing the word of God. Let's go to Psalm one nineteen. Psalm one nineteen. A great chapter. Um, I encourage you if you're just afraid, right? Everybody has the jokes. Hey, I'm going to share a quick Devo. Let's turn to Psalm 119, right? Those Christian jokes and whatever. But Psalm 119 is just a great and incredible portion of Scripture because it's talking about the Word of God. Again, one of the most important things that we have and that we possess It's important to know even as we're going to see time and time again that we need to be hearing God's word. We need to be hearing God's word. We need to be hearing God's word. In this time period, many people did not know how to read and write. So the way they would take in God's word would be to go to group readings. They'd go to the synagogue. They would go together and gather with other brothers and sisters. And that's why we need to be hearing and taking in God's word. Now hopefully most of us were here and were blessed, We're able to read and write, so we should be working to read our Bible. And I encourage you, if you can, if you're not going to annoy someone around you, or maybe you should annoy them, right? Read your Bible out loud. When you read your Bible out loud, it's going to help you to focus a whole lot more. Because if you're not, if you're like me and it's early in the morning and you didn't have enough coffee and you're reading in your mind, you're reading in your mind, you're reading in your mind, man, did I take out the garbage, where so-and-so, man, so-and-so, I paid for their meal. They said they're going to pay me back. They never pay me back, right? Our minds can wander. But if we sit down and we read God's word out loud, it's going to help us to focus in all the more. But Psalm 119, I'll read verse 9 and then we'll jump over to verse 99. But Psalm 119 verse 9, it tells us how can a young man cleanse his way? It's by taking heed according to your word. Again, as we live our lives, as we've had a past before Christ, there is sin. There is perhaps things that we've picked up in our culture that are sinful. right? And how do we cleanse ourselves from these things? It's by taking heed according to God's word. That's to not only hear God's word, but to do it. We don't have time to go to the the parable of the house with the storm. To be able to have your house built upon the rock, it's not just hearing God's word, but Jesus says the one who built their house upon the rock is the person who heard God's word and does it. Again, as we're reading more of God's word this year, hopefully we're being more obedient to it. But there in Psalm 119, verse 99 through 105, It tells us, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So again, the psalmist here is telling us that if we want to grow in understanding, if we want to grow in our knowledge, if we want to grow in our wisdom, it's by taking in God's word. The more that we take in God's word, the more we will grow in understanding and the more we will grow in wisdom. Not only do we get this added benefit as we take in God's word, but here the psalmist is telling us that God's word is the one true guide for life. God's word is the only, the way, the truth, the life, right? That's Jesus. But God's word is the one and true guide for life. So much of the Internet is all about, uh, they call it clickbait, right? And you got to make these big, bold statements to get people to want to click on that or read that, right? And they'll say, oh, the guide to life, the guide to money, the guide to crypto, right? The guide to exercise, the guide to this, that, the third. But the only one and true guide for life is God's Word. It adds a lamp to the path of our lives that as we make decisions... As we're thinking about school, as we're thinking about hard work, as we're thinking about family and marriage, God's word will add a light and help us walk in the way that God wants us to walk. Uh, This great quote by John R. Macduff. He says, reader, take the word as the lamp to thy feet and the light to thy path. In days when false lights are hung out, there is the more need of keeping the eye steadily fixed on the unerring beacon. Make the Bible the arbiter in all difficulties, the ultimate court of appeal. Like Mary, sit at the feet of Jesus, willing only to learn of him. How many perplexities it would save you. How many fatal steps in life it would prevent. How many tears. It is a great matter, says the noblest of modern Christian philosophers, when the mind dwells on any passage of scripture just to think how true it is. So again, if you want to save yourself extra heartbreak, if you want to save yourself extra pain, if you want to save yourself extra Tears, take in God's word and allow it to be the lamp to your feet. I think the problem is for many Christians, God's word is lighting the path before them, but they're saying, "Eh, I'd just rather walk in darkness, right? That's what happens when we disobey God's word. God's word is lighting the lamp, right? Hey, end that relationship. Don't talk with this person. Make sure you work hard for this. Be diligent. Be saving. Seek the Lord more. Give more to God. However, when that lamp and that light is lighting for us, sometimes in our disobedience, we don't want to go through the the light of our lives, right? The path that brings light and joy to us. Charles Spurgeon, he says, one of the most practical benefits of Holy Word is guidance in the acts of daily life it is not sent to astound us with its brilliance but to guide us by its instruction i know i'm not the only person here sometimes you meet someone that they seem like they're a brainiac when it comes to god's word but yet they're not walking in it they're not allowing it to mold their lives they're not just walking in the practical daily life of being obedient to god's word A couple more scriptures and then we'll jump over to the next topic. Luke chapter 8 verse 21. What's another benefit of hearing God's word or reading more of God's word? Jesus, he's in front of a crowd and he tells them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Again, how do we get even more entrenched into the family of Christ? This isn't for salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. But as we're hearing in more and more of God's Word and we're being obedient to it, we're likening ourselves more and more to the family of Christ. We've been going through Hebrews, right? How Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Again, it's a blessing to our lives. It's going to lead to goodness in our lives if we're hearing God's word and if we're being obedient to it. Finally, probably my favorite scripture when it's a commentary on the word of God, it's Hebrews 4, verse 12. It tells us, For the word of God is living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Again, we're not just reading a dead book that you read it once, and then you read it again, and you're sort of bored by it, right? I don't know what your other favorite book is, or your favorite fictional book, Uh, been on this planet for 33 years now right and there's different books that come the harry potter books are crazy right and uh, then there's the whole was it twilight the vampires and love and all this weird stuff right hopefully you're not rereading those books over and over and over again if not you could come up for prayer you could text one of the pastors for prayer right but those that word those books they're not living they're not powerful Again, how many books can you read one chapter in the beginning, one chapter at the end, and one chapter in the middle, and they all make sense? It's all giving you the same idea. Again, if you do that in a movie, you drive yourself crazy. You do that in a TV show, right? Is that how you binge on Netflix? Oh, watch the end, then the middle, then the beginning, then I'll go back to the end. No, that's how powerful God's Word is. And then it's so powerful because it cuts us To our soul, to our spirit, and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, oftentimes we make decisions and we're not conscious of why we are doing this, right? Why am I doing this? Why am I acting the way I am right now in December of 2021, right? Is it fear? Is it fear of man? Is it fear of God? Is it, am I just doing what people are telling me to do, right? It's only God's word that as we read God's word and go through God's word, will it reveal to us and speak to us as it's alive. He's like, this is really why you're making this decision. You're making excuses, but you just have a problem with that family member, and that's why you didn't want to go to the party, right? You're just guilting this person. It has nothing to do with this. has nothing to do with that. You just have animosity and bitterness against them. That's why you're doing this. And again, that can only come from God's Word. Next topic we go to is fasting. We can go to Matthew chapter 6. I don't know how many crazy people talk about fasting during the Christmas and New Year's season, but hey, we're here, Matthew chapter 6. And we'll look at Jesus himself speaking on... Fasting. He'll really tell us the way we are not to fast. Matthew chapter 6. And what is fasting? Fasting, simply put, is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It's abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It's a denying of self and doing it for our purpose for a particular reason so that you can draw closer to the Lord, right? Sometimes it creeps into our mind. Oh man, the church wants us to fast in the beginning of January. That's great. I overate so much. It's going to help me lose a couple pounds. No, that's not why we're fasting together. Oh, I do this like fasting thing. I fast for eight hours a day. Then I get to pig out and go to all the buffets that I want to, right? I'll do this for Jesus. No, that's not why we're fasting. We're doing this for spiritual reasons, The Puritans, they called fasting the fattening of the soul. The fattening of the soul. And again, there's something very special when we're telling our physical state no so that we can grow in spiritual things. And what we should be supplementing that time in eating, right? It's funny, everybody eats at different speeds. There's some people here and you sit down with someone else to eat and you're talking to them and you turn around and you blink and their whole plate is gone and clean, right? It's been five minutes, the food just got there, the plate's clean, you just like took one bite out of your food, right? But what we should be doing is in those moments when we should be eating, we should be spending extra time not on social media, not on food network so that we can be looking at tasty morsels of food, right? Right? But it's so that we'd spend that time in prayer. We'd spend that time in reading of God's word. We'd spend that time in thinking about other people, praying for other people. That's what we should be doing in this time. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, I won't do it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Again, you could read through this whole chapter. Uh, Jesus gives us the model prayer, right? Our Father who is in heaven. But there in verse 16, he here speaks about fasting and he says moreover when you fast he doesn't say if you fast or should you fast jesus says when you fast do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting assuredly i say to you they have their reward but you when you fast anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting but to your father who is in secret who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward openly and verse 18 that's a great okay why are we doing all this it's so that we can gather together and meet God in the secret place why are we trying to read more why are you trying to pray more why are you trying to fast it's so that we can gather together with God in the secret place. I don't know if when you were growing up you had a tree house or a clubhouse, right? Secret password to get in, secret knock, secret handshake, whatever, right? This is speaking to us that God, he has a secret place. That we can be diligent to seek him and we're going to find him. But here in this secret place, it tells us the whole reason, the whole point of fasting. It's to, in a sense, get the attention of God. To give ourselves to the attention of God. It's not to get the attention of men. This is what Jesus is here condemning. He's saying that when these Pharisees would fast, they would disfigure their faces. They'd be super sad. They would get ashes and they'd put it on their head. Some of these men, they wouldn't take showers. right? And why would they do that? So you can smell them coming and say, oh, that guy's fasting, right? Oh, that guy, they look terrible. I hear their belly aching, right? So they must be fasting. Look at how spiritual they are. And the Pharisees, again, they were incredible. They would fast twice a week, whole entire days. I believe it's Monday and Thursday. They would fast every single Monday and Thursday. However, they weren't doing it for the Lord. They were doing it so that other people would think, wow, look at how holy this person is. Or even worse, they would be doing it So that they would feel better about themselves. So that they would think, man, I'm much more holy than servant so-and-so or saint so-and-so or brother so-and-so. Again, we should be fasting to be able to say no to our flesh so that our spirit would grow in being able to hear that still small voice a little bit louder. I think the problem for many believers today, and I think that's that's a good problem, right? As some believers, we've gone to the other end of the pendulum, right? That I don't, I haven't seen someone in a long time try to act like they're fasting, right? Or make everybody know that they're fasting. But sometimes we take this verse to the other extreme that we're even fearful of telling people that we're not fasting. right? You're at lunch with someone else and like, hey, you want to eat? Like, no, 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 I don't, no, it's okay, right? And you just run out of the other room, right? And what's wrong with that person, right? We shouldn't do that either. I love Chuck Smith. He says, when you're fasting, be Natural. Just be natural. Be yourself and have honest conversation, right? If you were speaking to a Muslim and it was Ramadan or a season of fasting, they'd have zero fear telling you that they're fasting and the reason for their fasting. We as believers, we shouldn't be fearful of that. We can be honest with our co-workers, our family members, our friends, The person at Publix, right? Hey, why you have no meat in your cart? I'm going to be, you could pray for me a little bit extra those 10 days, right? Hey, why, why are you doing this fast, right? Man, it's because I just want to hear God a little bit more. I want to say no to my flesh and I want to hear him a little bit more. Chuck Smith, right, he said, be natural. He says, people are afraid of being regarded as miserable because a Christian goes to the other extreme. Don't be so fearful of that. In order to not look sad, you need to not put a grin on your face. You don't have to act like you're the happiest person in the world because you're fasting. And finally, he says, the interest in the opinion of others is wrong on one end of the spectrum or the other. Don't worry about the impressions you're making. Just give yourself entirely to God. In this season of fasting, in the season of reading, it's not about putting it on social media. If you want to do that, that's fine. It's all about being concerned about pleasing God. And that's what we should be asking ourselves, right? There's some people in the family, they're diabetic. They, they cannot not eat food. It will do damage and harm to their physical state. There's some Christians, right? They get a little overzealous and overspiritual. They say, fasting is only about food. And I don't think that's the case. I think many of us, we would benefit from taking time from fasting from social media, right? Or fasting from the news. Fasting from fighting with a spouse or complaining about someone someone else. There are other things that we can fast from that if we're honest, some of us, we look at our phones a whole lot more than we eat on a daily basis, right? And some of us, if we would supplement all that time we waste on social media to reading more of God's Word, man, you'd be done reading the whole Bible in a month, I would think, right? Some of us. But again, you got to pray and seek the Lord. Maybe even talk to your doctor. Hey, is, am I healthy enough to do this? Am I good enough to do this? Try it. You don't have to be completely perfect. In Isaiah 58, we could turn there quickly. Isaiah 58, this is probably like the cornerstone of speaking and fasting about fasting in the Bible. And then Matthew 6, right? The Lord's Prayer is another big area of speaking of fasting. And then the final one is probably the disciples when they're having that difficulty freeing that young boy from demon possession that Jesus heals him. And then Jesus tells them, hey, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. We don't have time to go there, but even as you're turning to Isaiah 58, Jesus is telling them there that there are this specific type of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting. Now, is that oh, the more I pray and fast, I'm going to have like, more spiritual superpowers, and I'm going to be able to do more and more? No, what Jesus is really telling them is, hey, the reason you weren't able to do it is because you were not spending time with me. The power you were drawing from was not from me. It was from yourselves. When Jesus gave them power to cast out demons, right, walk on snakes, all of that stuff, Jesus was giving them a power in honor of someone within the royal kingdom as a dignitary of the royal kingdom. It's not the dunamis power that we get from the Holy Spirit. So where is our true power source? It's by spending time with Jesus. Is by being in our word, by praying, and by fasting. But Isaiah 58, verse 2, it says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. And they ask of me the ordinances of justice and they take delight in approaching God. Right? Perhaps we read this and we think, what an incredible group of people, Right? They want to seek the Lord each and every day. They're excited to know His ways. They want to do righteousness. They don't want to forsake the ordinance of their God. However, look at verse 3. It says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So again, God is condemning them for the heart or perhaps the hypocrisy of the nation of Israel in their fasting. So again, what is fasting not? Fasting is not about afflicting our souls to get God's attention. That's not what fasting is about. Fasting is not going on a hunger strike, right? God, unless you want me to die, you better do what I'm telling you to do, right? If not, I'm not going to eat until you do what I tell you to do. No, then you're putting yourself in power over the Lord. Fasting is not created to create more strife. It's not created to create more debate. It's definitely not created to to create more division. That's not why we fast, right? Some religions, they'll tell you on certain days of the year, you can only eat fish. You have to fast from this. You have to fast from that. That's not the reason for fasting. If we fast... Our whole heart needs to be a sincere heart of obedience to God. Not a hypocrite who thinks that there's some sort of spiritual scales where this will even out our bad and evil thoughts and decisions and the way we treat people. Again, this is hopefully one of the blessings that will come out out of these first 30 days is that as we pray, as we fast, as we read God's word, God's going to be cleansing our hearts in the way we treat others. The way we treat our spouse, the way we treat our kids, the way we treat our bosses. We're not fasting to cover up our hypocrisy. We're not fasting to cover up how evil we are. We're fasting to hear the voice of the Lord a little bit louder. Again, we need to have that sincere heart of obedience to God. We're not fasting here in the nation of Israel. One of the reasons they were fasting was in order to win arguments over someone else. God, help me to do this so I can beat this other person. That's not why we're doing it. Fasting is not to make our voice louder to God. Fasting is so that in denying our flesh, our spirit would be strengthened to hear the voice of God just a little bit louder. That's what it's all about. It's not just that God would hear our plea louder. It's that we would hear the voice of the Lord more and more. In verse 6, he continues. He says... Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Again, fasting is to hear from God. And we can't hear from God if we're not right with our brothers and sisters. And that's something that's naturally going to come out as we're hearing God's word and being obedient to God's word. Right the Lord's prayer, Lord forgive Me, Lord, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, right? That's always a heavy one to me. Am I really forgiving other people in the way that I want God to forgive me? If we fast correctly, we need to start by loosening the bonds of wickedness in our lives. We need to start by undoing heavy burdens of guilt and shame. Whether we're the ones using guilt and shame to manipulate others... Or perhaps we're using guilt and shame of our past to hold us down. And finally, we need to allow those who are oppressed by sin and oppressed by religion to go free. We need to do these things if we want to be able to fast with the proper heart. Verse 7, he says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and hide and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Again, the point of fasting, is to put on the mind of Christ. What did Jesus do before he started his ministry? He fasted for 40 days and nights. That's exactly how he started. But we need to put on the mind of Christ. We need to share with those who cannot pay us back. We need to feed. We need to gather. We need to cover those who are broken, poor, and naked. This was the weakness of the Pharisees. They they were doing the law to the jaw and the tittle, right? To every cross, every dot, every parenthesis. They did it. But the poor, the needy, they were just using them and abusing them. If our heart and relationships are right before man, then our heart and relationship is right with God. And then we're going to see the incredible blessing that God has for his people, In verse 8 and verse 9, it says, If we do these things, it says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your mist, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. Again, once again, here God says, hey, if you do these things, look at the mighty way I'm going to work on your behalf. But you got to address the sin in your life. you got to address these things. All that we're trying to do in this season should lead to more holiness in our lives. Here in verse 9, God asked them to stop three more things and continuing their fast. Number one is to stop oppressing others. Take that yoke away. Are you oppressing someone in your life? Oh, I don't believe in that. Maybe as a parent, you're manipulating your kids to do what you want them to do instead of doing what God has called them to do. Maybe as a wife, as a husband, you're manipulating people. Maybe as a business owner, you're oppressing the people that work for you. Right, whatever that may look like in your life, take that yoke away from people. What's the second thing? Stop pointing the finger, right? What has the last two years taught us? If I get sick, it's everybody else's fault except mine, right? Something bad happens to me, it has to be someone else's fault. Who done it? Who did it, right? That's not what it's about. We gotta stop pointing the finger for our sicknesses, for our sin, for our life, for the state that we are in. We have to take ownership for our sins and our life and our decisions. Here, God is telling them, stop pointing the finger. Finally, stop speaking wickedness. Right? God's word tells us from the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. What's our speech like? Are we saying, yeah, yeah, I'm fasting with the church for these 30 days, but we're cussing up a storm? Are we singing the songs to our favorite? We're singing the lyrics to our favorite songs that are filled with innuendos and expletives, right? We need to stop speaking wickedness. Perhaps it's gossip, right? We're not talking to other people to pray for someone else that's sick. We're just like spreading the gossip mill, right? Maybe you got it from so and so. Maybe it says no. We should be praying for one another, right? What a cruel and twisted world we're in that Christians are looking to blame others for sicknesses when Christians. For the last 2,000 years, I've gone into the sick wards to help the people who are sick. That, that was our role. Now we're just looking to blame others. Again, we need to stop speaking wickedness. I pray that at the end of this season, we would see more holiness and righteousness with the Lord our God. That we would be like Peter and the disciples in the book of Acts. That people would look at us and our lives and that they would know these men have been with Jesus. That our prayers would be changed to his will and that we would see them answered. That our lives would be full of the light of Christ. And that we would be filled with the healing, righteousness, and glory of God. I pray that's what we see at the end of this. That when we cry out to God, he will answer, here I am. And that's my heart. That's my prayer. If you're saying, man, why should I do this? Write down verse 8 and 9. That, that's hopefully our, our hope and our desire as we're entering the season to try to press into the Lord a little bit more. Finally, the topic of prayer. We could turn to, what's the biggest one here? Let's turn to Matthew 14. And then after Matthew 14, we'll turn to Colossians chapter 4. But Matthew 14. And the whole mindset, the whole idea of prayer, we see all over the Bible from Genesis to revelation even in the tabernacle the incense the offering the burning the sweet smelling aroma again it's talking about our prayers and again praying it's difficult because it goes against every part of our flesh it goes against the part of our flesh that wants things done in an instant it goes against the part of our flesh that wants to be entertained Right? It goes against the part of our flesh to do things that are fun. It goes against every part of our flesh. right We're growing the prayer meetings with more and more people coming, But And if we announce there's a picnic, there's a concert, there's free food, there's a sporting event, right? We gather. We'll invite everybody, every believer that we can find. But if there's a prayer meeting, it's like, "Ah, right, I don't know about that one, right? I don't know if I can make that one. I'm a little bit busy that day. Fasting, but we need to do this more and more. John R. Macduff, quoting him once again, he says, Thou must be Moses pleading on the mount if thou would be Joshua victorious in the world's daily battle. If you want to be victorious in the daily battle that we're in, it all starts by being in prayer. And you think of the mighty men of God, I don't think any of them would say their prayer life was exactly what they wanted. Even men that would pray for three hours a day, five hours a day, they would still say, man, I need to pray more. I need to spend more time in praying. And you think of all the mighty men who were men of prayer, guess who was probably the biggest man of prayer in human history? Jesus himself. In Matthew 14, hopefully you're there, Matthew 14, verse 22 and 23. Mark chapter 6, verse 46, it's the, uh, the same portion of history that Mark is writing. But in Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when the multitudes ha- And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself, To relax and watch Netflix, right? (laughs) He went up into the mountains, just veg out and watch some YouTube. No, after a hard day of ministry, he sends the disciples away. He finishes off the ministry. He closes the building, right? And then he gets away to pray. Again, Jesus was a man of prayer. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, you could just write it down. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer. Hey, when was the last time you spent all night long praying, right? When was the last time you greeted the sun as it rose, saying, hey, I've been here waiting for you. I've been praying and spending time with God. Again, each of us, myself included, we're going through these things. Again, maybe it's all my fault, right? These are the areas I need to grow in. Man, we need to pray more. If Jesus was a man of prayer, how much more do I need to be a man of prayer? If Jesus would be there to greet the morning, greet the sun, shining, how much more do we need to be those men and women of prayer? We now go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And here we see, okay, how do we pray? How should we pray? You could look at the Lord's Prayer later on. We saw that in Matthew chapter 6, right? It gives us a great way to pray. It shouldn't just be that vain repetition, it shouldn't just be copying the layout we find in the Lord's Prayer. But in Colossians chapter 4, here Paul's encouraging this church to pray some more. Colossians chapter 4. And there in verse 2 and 3 it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Again, Paul, he tells them, continue earnestly in prayer. That is to be strong in persevering in prayer. That is to have persistence and fervor in praying. You see, for many of us, we throw up that one prayer and then we walk, we walk about, we go about our day, right? right? Lord, thanks for the grub, bless it, amen, right? And we, we just go about our day. God bless my day, help me, Lord help me have no bad dreams, Uh, keep the house safe, amen, right? But here, what Paul's asking them is to be strong, having persistence and fervor in prayer. It's not just throwing up one prayer here and one prayer there, but it's being consistent. It's going to the Lord over and over and over and over again. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Heaven's gate is not to be stormed by one weapon, but by many. Spare no arrows, Christian. Watch and see that none of the arms in thy armory are rusty. Besiege the throne of God with a hundred hands, and look at the promise with a hundred eyes. You have a great work on your hand for you have to move the arm that moves the world. Watch then for every means of moving that arm. See to it that you apply every promise, that you use every argument, that you wrestle with all your might. Again, this is a great idea of how we should be praying with all that we got in persistence. There's a couple portions of scripture where even Jesus tells us through parables that we need to pray with persistence. You can turn to Luke chapter 11. Again, this was just even in my devos this week. What an encouragement. Luke chapter 11, we don't have time to look at all the different parables on prayer and persistence we should have in prayer, but in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, again that's the Lord's Prayer once again, in verse 5, here he goes to the parable and he says, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Then in verse 9, right, it tells us, You say, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Again, we need to pray with persistence. Now, what is prayer? Is this like an okay? We're we're back to the we're back to the picketing right and telling God, hey, you have to do this for us. Is that why we're doing it? We, we got the hunger strike. Now we're going to keep annoying him till he, does, tells, till he does what we tell him to do. Luke chapter 18, again, the same idea there. Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? And our God, right, Jesus promises us that if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. So, so why is this, right? He tells us whatever we ask in his name, he's going to do it. But then he tells us we need to pray with persistence over and over and over again. See, oftentimes in Scripture, Jesus has people wait. He has people wait. And they're crying out for the same thing over and over and over again. But Jesus is having them wait. And oftentimes in that season of waiting, the Lord is sharpening us. The Lord is revealing to us the intents of our heart is hey, is this prayer really a holy prayer? Is this prayer really according to my will or do you just think that person's pretty and you want to marry them, right? Oftentimes God is working in our heart so that our will will line up with His. And that's the whole point of prayer. It's not God, my will on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Lord, Your will On earth as it is in heaven. Lord, your will in heaven, everything done in heaven is according to the will of God. Here on earth, there's a season where he gives people, right, that freedom, that choice to do evil, to do as they please. But one day, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. We need to continue in prayer. Daniel, he was seeking from the Lord, fasting for 21 days. And when the angel finally came, he declared to Daniel that from the first day that he sought the Lord for understanding, the angel was dispatched with an answer. But he was detained by the powers of darkness that controlled Persia until he was delivered by the great angel Michael. What would have happened if Daniel had not continued in his 21-day quest? Right, The battle that we're in, it's a spiritual battle. We don't see everything that's going on. You could think of Hannah with Samuel, how she was pleading with the Lord over and over and over again for a son. But perhaps the Lord was working in her heart to get to the point where, Lord, if you just, Lord, if you just give me a son, Lord, I'll give him back to you. And that's when the Lord like, all right, Hannah, now your heart is ready and right for this miracle to be had and this miracle to be done. You can think of Jacob wrestling with the Lord, give me a blessing, give me a blessing, give me a, give me a blessing. And Jesus waited and waited and waited till he knocked out his hip socket, right? And that's when the Lord gave him the blessing. So oftentimes God has us in this battle maybe to see if if we're really doing it because we love him. Are we doing it because he's just our genie? He's not a genie. He's God. We're not. We don't pray to change his mind or change his will. And again, I encourage us to not just be praying prayers for comfort. Oftentimes, our prayers, though they be good, though they're important for dignitaries and for our nation and for our country and for our economy, oftentimes, those prayers are just for our comfort. Lord, heal a miracle so my life will be more comfortable and my kids will be more comfortable. Oftentimes, that's the true root of those prayers. Maybe not for you guys. That's just my evil heart that wants comfort, right? But that we be praying more, Lord, your will be done. What's your desire, God? Are we in a season... Now, Lord, you're pouring out, not pouring out your wrath, but in a sense you've taken away that extra grace upon America because of our decisions and because of the way we're living. Lord, strengthen our church. Strengthen my kids, Lord. Strengthen us to be those Daniels, the Shadrach, Meshach, and the Bendigos. Right? You think of Jesus as he's going to visit Lazarus. He waits two days on purpose. He could have gone there the two days beforehand. He could have healed, right? He could have healed Lazarus. Everything would have been cool. But he waits two days Mary and Martha come. They're pretty angry with him. They say, he's dead because of you, because you were late in coming. And then what does Jesus do? He raises him from the dead. So sometimes God delays answering our prayers because he's sharpening us. He's having us look at the intents of our heart as we go through God's word so that our will would be lined up with his. Or sometimes he's waiting because he wants to show us a greater power, a greater version of himself, a greater answer to prayer. Quickly trying to wrap this up. In Ephesians chapter 6, we get this famous portion of scripture. I think this is every little boy's favorite portion of scripture, right? It's the armor of God, and we got helmets, we got swords. We have this great apparel to fight in the battle that we're in, that we could withstand. The fiery darts of the enemy. But in Ephesians chapter 6, notice this. I don't know if you've realized this. It's all sort of fueled by prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it tells us, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I don't know if you realize in Colossians at the end of Paul saying, hey, you got to pray more earnestly. It's the same prayer attached at the end. Pray that God's word would go forth. Pray that we'd have boldness to share God's word more and more. But again, the armor of God, it's sort of all fueled by praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Back in uh, Colossians chapter 4, right, we read, continue earnestly in prayer. The second half of that is being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So we looked at that, again, that perseverance. We need to be strong in persevering to prayer. We need to have persistence and fervor in praying. We need to be that neighbor that keeps banging on the door. Hey, I need bread. I need bread. I need bread. That's who we need to be. But now the second half of that is to be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. N.T. Wright, he says, The connection here with thanksgiving may suggest a threefold rhythm intercession then watching for answers to prayer and then thanksgiving when answers appear you see sometimes we're praying god answers our prayer and maybe not you guys but i just think oh what a coincidence look it all worked out right instead of saying oh my goodness look at what the lord did Instead of inviting other people and proclaiming, look at what God has done. Look how he healed this person. Look how he answered this prayer. That's one way to look at it, but another great way to look at it is that within our prayers, we should have thanksgiving and gratitude associated with all our prayers, right? Maybe during the season of Christmas, you're a little bit sick. Christmas looked a little bit different. Were you angry and bitter with the Lord? Because as I was praying, I was reminded of the kids that are in Nicholas Children's Hospital, right? Battling leukemia on Christmas Day. Are we annoyed because we have a a sore throat and we could have been with our families, right? That we'd have thanksgiving and gratitude mixed with our prayers. In Philippians 4, 6, right? Famous scripture on prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, as we take in more and more God's word, it increases our understanding. It increases our wisdom. I believe God's word is revealing to us that the more we pray, the more hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude we'll have. The more time we spend in prayer, crying out to God, the more as the whole point of prayer is for our will to line up with God's will, we're going to have more thanksgiving. We're going to have more gratitude. We're going to have less anxiety. We're going to have less depression. We're going to have less looking at everybody else and what they have. And we're going to have more thanksgiving and gratitude in our hearts, making these requests made known to God. Finally, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 if you like things just super simple, this is very simply put. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18. Verse 16, rejoice always, right? Test the positive, rejoice. Be grateful, right? Be grateful for what you do have. What's the next part? Pray without ceasing. Once again, being diligent to pray and pray and pray and pray. Verse 18, in everything, give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, how simple for us. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. Again, we should be so grateful, right? This virus, it doesn't really affect kids, from the vast majority of kids, right? It doesn't seem to be as deadly as other diseases and viruses. It's getting a little bit more watered down. We should be rejoicing in that. We should be grateful to the Lord for that. But again, that we would grow in each and every one of these areas. Not so that at the end of January or at the end of 2022, we, we come to God, hey God, look, I read my whole Bible. Hey God, I fasted for 30 days. Hey God, I prayed. Now God, what are you going to do for me? That's not the right way to go into this. or thinking what this is going to do for us this is going to, again, once again, hopefully, cleanse us. It's going to reveal to us the intents of our heart, the reason why we do certain things. It's going to put us up against the standard, not of our world or the people we don't like in this world or the evil people in this world. It's going to put us against the standard of Christ Jesus. As God tells us, be holy for I am holy. So again, the whole point, the whole desire of this is that each of us would be closer and closer to the Lord. As each of us grow closer to the Lord, there's going to be a greater unity for us. And as there's a greater unity for us, as each of us are growing closer with the Lord, our whole church as a whole is going to grow in our spiritual depth. And in that, there's going to be many, many blessings. But hey, let's pray. And the worship team can come up. Lord, we thank you, God. Again, thank you, Lord.